0: You are listening to Subro On The Go, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor's Subrogation and Recovery Practice Group, with discussions and perspectives on emerging trends, developments, and best practices. Now let's get started with your hosts, Dave Briscoe and Joe Rich.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Joe Rich. Welcome to another episode of Subro On The Go. Today, we've got quite the panel, um, along with myself from our Miami office We have Dave Briscoe calling in from the west coast Um, we're also joined by Jenny Markovich from our New York office and Jeremy Jones from our Charlotte office so today we've got a we've got a good geography represented here and a lot of good subro attorneys here to talk to you today about the importance of video and photos Um, we deal with them all the time in our subro cases this is what we use to tell our story either to opposing counsel, liability adjusters, mediators, arbitrators or the jury. We use photos and videos to explain what happened and why we should get the recovery that we're seeking. So today, uh, the attorneys on this podcast are going to talk about this topic with me. And I like to start off when I talk about this topic with using like a children's book example. It's pretty simple, right? When you start reading to your kids when they're little, the books often have images. And that's because images convey more than words to people, and you also use them in tandem with explanations. So, if you look back, you know not just at children's books, but media in general. Where we are today, um, everybody is consuming news via video, uh, via photos. So it's a way that we learn, and in turn, you know, I think there is an expectation out there that we are going to present our cases using photos and videos. So, Jenny, what what are some important things that we have to keep in mind when we use photos and videos in subro cases? Or, or, and I don't know if anybody else wants to chime in before Jenny answers that question.
2: Yeah, well, let, yeah, let me jump in real quick, Joe, on that because uh, you know. Y- y- <laughs> Always. Uh, you, you know, your point about telling a story is, is spot on. And But it's not just even telling the story. It's how we're going to tell the story. How are we going to frame a subrogation case? Um, because the goal of any plaintiff attorney is to garner this emotion from a jury to motivate the jury to hold the defendant accountable. Um, and so personal injury attorneys will, will frame the case as about the injury to the victim to obtain that emotion from a jury to to want to punish the defendant for what happened to the victim but in property subro cases the reality is carriers are not really naturally going to going to get that same type of emotion nobody's going to feel sorry for the carrier for the money they had to pay out on a loss and so as a result we frame that story you're talking about as as about the significant event that happened especially in fire and flood cases where we say look at how terrible this fire was. We can't live in a world where these things happen. And in order to prevent these things from happening, you got to hold the defendant accountable. And so merely telling the story doesn't do the trick. As you say, we need images to show how destructive that terrible event was. So talk to us about those images, Jenny.
3: Yeah. So I think the expression, a picture's worth a thousand words couldn't hold more true. Um, You really want to be out on the scene immediately, if you have the luxury of doing so, if you have a client who's educated enough in, you know, seeing that there may be subrogation potential to get subrogation counsel assigned, get an origin and cause investigator out there and to take pictures. And taking pictures, the importance of that is really twofold. In a subrogation case, you wanna prove not only liability, but you also wanna prove your damages. And you want to avoid any potential targets from being able to say, Well, I didn't get to look at the scene at the time of the loss happened. And as we all know very well, sometimes our hands are tied. Sometimes we don't have enough time to hold a scene and preserve it right away. Um, sometimes we need to immediate, mitigate immediately. Um, so these are when photos and video become of extreme importance and I'm sure we'll discuss you know the importance of the video um, further on, but it's very important to be able to document the evidence, document um, the area of origin, document the damages, because the parties may not have an opportunity to view the evidence and later on if they claim, hey, I wasn't at the scene, I didn't see it. I don't you know who knows if this is my product that started. Um, the fire or started the the water from emanating, or these damages didn't take place, now you have the photographic evidence to show everything you need to prove. And as Dave said, from the get-go, you want to establish what you want to present at the time of trial. And there's nothing more important than having videos and photos um, to be able to present to a jury of your peers.
1: You know, I would just jump in that your point about proving the evidence with respect to damages is well taken. I find that when you talk about these type of topics, people naturally gravitate toward liability and everybody forgets about damages. And I always think about like water loss cases and how you need to have good photos and good video in order to explain to the other side why these items are paid for, you know, and looking at like a statement of loss or an estimate doesn't always hammer it home as well as having 50 photos or some good video showing the scope of a water loss so that that's something to also keep in mind that you know it's it's beyond just liability damages is always the other half of the case that we have to fight
3: yeah and i and if i can recall an instance that's happened probably far too many times is when you potentially have a product, you know, say a boiler that caused um, the fire and you can't immediately discern who the manufacturer of that is. So obviously you then can't immediately put them on notice and you don't have the time to secure the scene to be able to conduct, you know, a destructive examination or a lab examination to determine, you know, who the manufacturer of this boiler is by taking photos, by taking videos of the scene, by taking photos and videos of the collection of evidence um, preserves everything in a sense that later on, once you've conducted that lab examination to determine the boiler manufacturer, you can then put them on notice and show them the photos and videos to to establish the scene um, and make themselves have, a, have an opportunity to at least see the, everything that was there um, vis-a-vis the photos Um, since they lost the opportunity to physically examine, you know, the lost scene.
1: That's a great point. But now that, so now that we know what the importance of it is, Jeremy, what do we do? Like, what's the methodology? How do we instruct people on how to take photos and videos?
0: Well, and Joe, before we jump into that, going back to, you know, the point about establishing damages, you know, one thing that many of our experts jump to is they identify the damage, they go photograph that, but they sometimes fail to document the undamaged portions of the property and, you know, if we're talking about uh, the extent of smoke damage or the extent of water damage, you know, months down the road after the loss, once we're litigating this matter, establishing, you know, the difference between those undamaged components, whether, you know, hardwood flooring or the cabinets uh, versus, you know, those items that were damaged, uh, you know, having the the expert take a few minutes on the front end just to document those items that weren't damaged uh, really helps us down the road to establish why those damages were incurred, what the proof of those damages was. Um, and so jumping into the methodology, you know, I mean, when we're talking fires, uh, there's no better uh, methodology for us to look to than in FPA 921, right? I mean, that establishes the standards uh, for our fire investigators, uh, how they're supposed to conduct themselves during their investigations. And from that, you know, we can take um, those standards and, Experts, whether they're investigating a water loss or a building collapse, there are you know basic foundational things that those experts need to be doing when documenting those photographs. And the most basic of all is the scientific method. I mean, that really is, when you boil down 921, that's what you're getting to. And a big part of that scientific method is collecting the data, collecting the facts, preserving the evidence. And really there's no better way than with photographs Um, you know now we're getting into uh, a day and age when uh, video and drone footage and and there are so many others but you know documenting the damage documenting the the loss um, it really comes back to what is that methodology and you know that methodology while it can be different from expert to expert certainly should be the same for each expert Uh, whether they you know go from left to right around a property or right to left however they do it it needs to be their methodology and they need to do that each time Uh, yeah i think
1: i i i think like we've all been out to scenes and we've seen experts take their camera recording devices out, snap a few photos, and move on. And we kind of cringe, and we pull them back, and we say, wait a (laughs) minute, wait a minute. There's a lot more here. And I'm thinking of a case I had a couple years back. It was a fire in, in like, a commercial garage. And I asked the expert, I said, did you walk through the whole floor? And he said, well, no, why would I do that? I go, well, because we're on this floor, like, let's go through the whole floor. And I kind of walked around with them. And those photos became increasingly important throughout the life of the case because we had, to get to your point, we had documented areas that were unaffected by a fire. And we had shown what the signage was, you know, and we were able to show things. But, you know, sometimes I I, kind of cringe when I see that. Um, I always err on the side of telling people, take as many photos as possible because you never know what's going to be relevant in six to eight months.
0: Well, and how many times do we get into deposition where you've got an expert who has taken, you know, a thousand photographs over the life of the investigation and you need the angle, uh, you know, from the other side or, you know, you need the angle from a, a wider view? Uh, it just You can never take too many photographs, and regardless of how many photographs you take, you know, someone later on in the litigation is going to be asking you for that one view, that one angle that you did not capture. So certainly more is always better.
1: Yeah, and uh, to get to your earlier point about whether they go left to right or right to left, whatever the methodology is, they have to uh-huh. use the same one all the time so that when they look at the photos... You know they know what order they're in, if you will. Um, so that's an important point. So, so you know, where where do we go from here? You know, the future is, I think, really interesting for subrogation professionals because there is 3D technology out there that is now not only available but become cost efficient to use. The most common one is Matterport or some deviation of Matterport technology. And Dave, I think you've used this before. I've used it. Um, I think it's probably going to be the wave of the future, but what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's got to be standard protocol now to me and to use Matterport or a 3D image of some sort at a law scene. It's just it's it's gotten to the point where it's inexpensive and, it, and compared to its value. The value is tremendous. Right. To be able to just recreate the scene and be able to, you know, uh, walk a jury or, or a mediator you're trying to persuade through a scene. Um, and to preserve that scene, you know, as if, as if somebody was there um, walking with your expert. So the value is so great. And the cost now is at a point where it just should be standard protocol on all scenes to me.
1: And maybe we should just briefly explain to listeners, this type of technology, what it does is create a, I would say, almost very accurate 3D rendering of an actual fire scene or water loss scene um, where it will create almost a dollhouse view and you can zoom in to certain areas. And the, what, what you do is you basically photo map the scene, and then the, the technology takes those photos and stitches it together such that you have a 3D rendering that you can actually walk through. Um, it's very, very powerful, I think. Um, and it, it gets to the initial point about telling our stories. And you know there is somewhat of a CSI factor to what we use. We use that phrase sometimes, right, Dave? Jenny and Jeremy, where there is an expectation that we're going to have something cutting edge to explain what happened, right?
2: Yeah, that's just it. You know, juries have that higher expectation on us now um, of that CSI factor that that we can, you know, really prove um, what happened in, in, in a technology, uh, from a technology standpoint. And this really just adds to that story that that um, meeting that burden the jury's placing on us.
3: Yeah, I think it just makes for a more effective presentation at trial. It's something that um, is not foreign to, f- to people, as Dave had mentioned. And I think it just um, makes it more convincing um, to see that we got this, you know, professional, you know, um, video out there. Um, I think it's just something that's going to be well, um, well received by a jury.
0: And also, as the you know, subro attorney, I'm thinking of a case now, it was a, a water loss that had multiple failures in CPVC piping. And the expert, uh, initially with his handheld camera, took close-up photographs of the location of each failure, documented those failures. And then later on, we got into litigation, there was a discussion about, well, where was this pipe, where was this fracture, you know, where did this failure occur? And we had the Matterport of the property, so we're able to go back to that and then zoom in and able to document exactly where each fracture had occurred uh, from an overall view. So it really is another layer of collecting that evidence during the investigation.
1: Yeah, I I think if, our clients and those subrogating professionals out there start to see it and use it, that I think the, the usefulness or utility and bang for your buck, as Dave said earlier, is gonna be obvious. Um, so now, what about other sources, right? What are some other sources where we get photos and videos? And I, And I start this with, I've often found that the best sources are the ones you don't think about first. Not just the insured, but like the property manager who whipped out their cell phone and took a video of a loss. Those those sort of uh, spontaneous videos and photos that people take on their cell phones, I found to be a treasure trove. But Dave, what, what are your thoughts?
2: You're absolutely right. We can't talk about photos and videos of a fire scene or a flood scene without talking about social media. And we've been pushing this for over a decade, this argument that twitter instagram facebook Flickr, google historical images all these options available to us have to be standard operating procedure for a subro professional to to mine really for as much data as they can um particularly for for images uh, on their subro cases early on and and uh and getting as much as you can um and and they're used really in three ways right there one they they help us to tell the story like we talked about in the beginning, because sometimes you're getting images of the fire as it's happening before the fire department comes in and puts the fire out. So you're not just seeing the post-fire destruction, but you're seeing it as it's happening to tell that story. Second is you're you're helping to prove the actual cause of the loss, right? I mean, we've had examples where you know, I had a fire in a kitchen and, and and going against the product manufacturer and they, you know, argued that the fire started on the adjacent deck and it was a total loss. Um, and then we get, you know, images from passerbys that show, well, the deck's not on fire early on yet. Um, you know, they tried to say it was it was smoking or, or some other work that was being done on the deck, but it's just not on fire. So it's there's, there's no better conclusive evidence as to what didn't cause the fire than an image, you know, during the fire of an area that's, that's not on fire yet. Um, and, and lastly, you know, they help us prove the negligent act to the defendant because sometimes you're getting images of the scene before the fire happens, what it looked like historically. In wildfire cases, was there a tree branch over a line? Was there a pole that was leaning because there was too much load on it? Um, you know, I always use the the puzzle example, right? A, a fire seems like a puzzle. It's a mess and you're trying to put the scene puzzle back together to show what it looked like before the fire turned the scene into a million puzzle pieces. But with a normal puzzle, you have a picture on the box of what the puzzle's supposed to look like when it's all put together, and so imagine trying to do a puzzle without that picture on the box to tell you what it's supposed to look like. That's what life is like for a fire investigator when they come to the scene and they got a million puzzle pieces. Um, so we want to help them. We want to help them see what's what's it supposed to look like before the fire turned it into a million pieces. And and these images and data that we can gather on social media are part of that, uh, part of that process.
1: Yeah, you know, I think Jeremy mentioned a cpvc case earlier and i just i have one going now where i got photo from the bill the insurance building engineer it's like it's unbelievable like it's just a water fountain pouring out of this cracked pipe and it's like the type of information that you always want but you can never find you know in in our cases i would just add dave to your summary a couple of other pointers and then we'll see what Ginny and and jeremy have to add but i've been finding that security system footage um, is a great source, especially if it's a commercial property. And even in residential properties, virtually everybody now has either some sort of Arlo, Nest, or Ring system. So there's always um, some source you can go to and ask your insurance about. Um, Just keep that in mind, you know, that type of source. And then um, on social media, you know, a lot of fire departments now are posting to social media when they're responding to fires. And they're actually giving you everything you need. So it's also a good source to keep that type of, of information in mind. Um, Jeremy, Jenny, I don't know if you guys have had any good experiences or bad experiences with social media.
3: Sure, so um, I just, with not necessarily with social media, but with uh, public authority and news sources, which I don't know if we touched upon that much. I think it's important to highlight them as a resource. Um, as you know you know, a fire happens, a fire department shows up so it's important to obtain a copy of their files um, any photos that they may have. Um, sometimes and especially in New York City where you have a camera on every street um, sometimes you want to get the camera um, and try and obtain that um, to show a real you know video of the fire and and Um, obtain footage from that. So um, I think those are also two other important uh, resources that can be used.
0: Yeah, and as for social media, it never ceases to amaze me the number of people who this day and age do not lock down their social media material. It is open for the world to see. I'm thinking about a case where we had a uh, landlord-tenant situation where the tenant did some electrical wiring himself and uh, a receptacle uh, failed and, and burned down the rental property. Uh, the initial story from the tenant was that you know he had this mystery electrician do all the work, didn't know who he was, paid him cash, um, flagged him down when he was working on a house in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, did a, a quick search on social media for our tenant. We found that he was very proud of his handiwork, where he was posting photographs of upgrades that he was making to the property so that friends and family could see what a great job he was doing. Uh, he told us that he had no information about what happened, what caused the fire. Um, lo and behold, on social media, he had posted pictures from his smartphone where he had watched the fire grow and then actually had a conversation with the local fire marshal who uh, told him it must have been electrical and then he was having discussions in threads uh, with family members about that electrical work. So uh, had he locked down his account, you know, we never would have gotten to that information without him volunteering it, but it was wide open for the world to see. We were able to capture that and present that to his liability carrier and make a quick resolution of that case.
1: Yeah, and to build on that point, Jeremy, it never ceases to amaze me. And I get well, maybe it doesn't cease to amaze me, but witnesses and like third party bystanders and neighbors, they love to take out their phones and uh, start videoing fires and and loss events. So you inevitably always find that there are neighbors or witnesses that have some sort of documentation of what happened so i always encourage the experts to canvas the area when we need to get a little bit deeper um but i want to so i think we're coming to the end here so jenny uh jeremy i want to thank you guys for joining dave and i dave as always it's a pleasure um and so for those of you out there listening um We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll have another one coming to you definitely before the end of the year. And if you have any ideas or thoughts or comments, you can always contact Dave Briscoe or myself. We're always looking for good topics. Um, And be well, everyone.
2: Thanks, everyone. This was fantastic. Appreciate it.